be our prayer that we need to end up praying for every single day Lord I want to see your victory no matter what the cost may be I want to see your victory and Lord and that's the Lord knows that in this time that we're facing in this troubled world that we're going through that we need that victory we need victory over the things that are going on victory over hate and anger and things that are driving people to do what they do, which I understand why they want to do what they do, but there's just something. The only thing that's going to save this world, the only thing that's going to save us entirely, is going to be the love of God. And it needs to go no matter what you are. There's an old song that I love to sing, and it's an old Sunday school song that we're all very familiar with. That Jesus loves little children. All the children of the world, red, yellow, black, and white, they are precious in His sight. And that is something that we need to end up keeping in our minds because it does not matter what we look like. It does not matter where we come from. God still loves us the same. And we as individuals need to show that same love, that same love to individuals who may even turn their backs against us. We need to make sure that we're showing that love. I want to just take some time tonight to just kind of talk a little bit on this particular thought, something that's been pressing in my spirit and my mind, and that's been kind of 
plaguing me to say, and I hate to use the word plague, but it's just something about what God is doing in this world. And I'm looking at, I was, I'm reminded of what our pastor was talking about this morning. Our pastor was talking about Bible prophecies and how these Bible prophecies that we see that have been mentioned in the Bible are starting to come to pass. And we can see that in our world that we're living in today. I mean, we can see that there is violence against one another. There is pestilence and epidemics that are ruling this world with COVID-19 and coronavirus. They are just ruling everything going on. And as my pastor was talking this this morning, I was just reminded, and I'm looking at some of the videos and everything on Instagram and some of the videos posted around by Pentecostal preachers and churches that are coming together in this trying time and coming in together in one mind and one accord and in unity and in love and in prayer. You know, because see, looking at this world, there's people that are going through this world and this, this life that they're living and they're searching, they're searching for something and whether it be searching for equality, whether it be searching for love, whether it be searching for relief from things that may be going on, there's constantly things that people are doing to search. There's been searches for the meaning of life, searching for things. We do so much searching in our life. And oftentimes we can find ourselves searching in the wrong places, searching where God does not want us to search. And that's what's directing my thought to talk to you all about tonight with it's a simple thought that I want to talk to you for a little bit of while at a time. I'm going to take my scripture from Exodus 15, 22 through 24. And Exodus 15, 22 through 24 reads this, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Moving on into Numbers 10.33, where it reads this, And they departed from the mount of the Lord three days' journey, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them in the three days' journey to search out a resting place for them. Tonight I want to just talk to you on this particular thought. In a desert, searching for life. In a desert, searching for life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Dear Lord, we come before you right now, Jesus. You see what's going on. You see what people are trying to search for and what people are trying to do in this world. God, I pray that, Lord, they can find themselves searching and putting their minds and their eyes on you, O oh God, and finding themselves to focus on you and to know that when we're needing something, that when we're finding ourselves in a troubled state, that we can search and that you are there and that we may be facing a desert right now. We may be going through a dry spell. We may be going through some situations in our life that we may not fully and truly understand. And we may feel like we're in that desert, but God, and we're searching for some type of life. But God, all you're trying to do and tell us is that I'm here. You're trying to tell us that we're that you're here for us, that you're there for us, oh God. And all we got to do is search in your direction. And we give you praise and honor and glory. And I pray that you just give me the words that I need to speak before these people tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. In a desert searching for life, oftentimes we have seen or heard of something to do with deserts. Deserts are hot and hardly there is hardly any life. 
Animals have to have a certain gene about them to be able to live therein. We have possibly seen movies or something that shows a person in a desert searching for water. I'm reminded of a fairly not fairly old movie called Holes. There are these kids who have to dig holes in the hot sun all day for a crime that they have done and they're at this detention camp. When they run out of water, they long for a drink of water. It logically be the searching for water when you run out of it. When you are in a desert and in need of water, it is said that you begin to hallucinate. All that person longs for is one of the basic sources of life, that basic source of life being water. In the desert, however, what is the one substance that is almost impossible to find? Water. See, looking at Moses and the children of Israel, what we talked about in Exodus 15, 22-24. Another translation reads this, and it comes from the NIV. It reads that then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. They went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? The children of Israel had just escaped from Egypt. They had crossed the Red Sea with Pharaoh and his army right behind them. Fear began to rise up in the children of Israel when they came to the front of the Red Sea, which is traditional, and you can see why they would probably have that fear that rose up inside of them, because they just came out of the detention camps of Pharaoh. They just came out of bondage. They just came out of being persecuted and oppressed. And then they're now faced in a, with a situation in front of them, the Red Sea that's blocking their path to get where they're going, and now they're being cut off what seems to be cut off from their source of getting over the Red Sea. We see that they are beginning to to mumble and beginning to complain and argue and talk about different things and begin to doubt and then they begin to say things like have telling Moses that you have brought us from Egypt out to this wilderness to die. It would have been better for us to stay in Egypt. Constant complaining and complaining back and forth constantly. People losing trust in God. They went from a time of rejoicing to a time of crying. They were not satisfied. God had brought them out of Egypt in bondage, and they began to complain. And the wilderness is sure the Israelites had no water. Moriah, they had water, but it was bitter, so that they could not drink it. It is as Hebrew origin of the meaning of Moriah is bitter, which carries the implication strength. We see another instance of this in the book of Ruth, where Naomi, mother-in-law of Ruth, claimed the name Moriah, Mara as an expression of grief after the death of her husband and sons. God can make bitter to us which we promise ourselves most and often does so the wilderness of this world that our wants and disappointments in creation may drive us to the Creator in whose favor alone true confidence to be had. See, in the distress the people fretted and quarreled with Moses. We could be in the same mentality as the children of Israel were. And the, the children of Israel where we can find ourselves in a time of distress and wondering why it has befallen us. We can find ourselves mumbling and grumbling such as the children of Israel did after a great victory. Though the children of Israel mumbled and grumbled, God did not leave them without. He provided water from them on their journey. He gave them food when they were hungry. Even though God did all those miraculous things for the children of Israel, they were still unsatisfied with what was given to them. They became in a sense of spoiled brats. Then when they found themselves facing a bad situation, they began to doubt God. Oftentimes, we can find ourselves when we are praying about something and we have been praying for so long, we start wanting to give up. When things start going wrong, we begin to blame God. We in a sense become those spoiled brats that children of Israel have become. 
The children of Israel began to search in other areas for comfort. When Moses was away on Mount Sinai, and the children of Israel began to see what was taking place. They began to wonder because, see, what they saw on the mount on Mount Sinai, they saw thunder and lightning and things going on, and they began to fear. They began to have this fear that rose up in them, and they began to doubt what was going on, and they began to say, "Oh, I don't, lest this befall on us." And then they found themselves going to Aaron and some of the other priests that were along the way, and they decide to make a golden calf. In other words, they become in a sense, trying to find a substitute. A substitute for what was really taking place. They begin to fear. They begin to go on in their lives wondering what was happening and what was going to become of them. See, this is a dangerous situation when we allow ourselves to wonder. In, their, in this wondering and fear, they begin to make false idols to bring relief from their problems. Again, they begin to find a temporary relief temporary relief that we may see coming from all these things that are going on in the world. However, even more problems begin to rise. We can find ourselves searching for something, searching for relief, comfort, and other various things, searching for equality, but we are searching in all the wrong places. We, in a sense, find ourselves in a desert searching for life. I remember hearing a story from one of my favorite ministers, Brother Jeff Arnold, and the story he talks about is a story that relates to him and his wife. Him and his wife had been going through various aspects of their life and Brother Jeff Arnold had found himself trying to find relief, trying to find things in ways where he shouldn't have found and it was one of those situations where as he was looking in all the wrong places as, the, as one of the old songs and old songwriters says, searching for love in all the wrong places. See, Brother... This particular individual, he talks about how he began to search for various things. He would go to church and he would feel like he would be getting what he needs from God. And he would say a prayer after prayer after prayer over and over again. But it never became what he needed. It was not until one night and it was, it was actually seen through his lovely wife, Sister Patty where they were at a particular camp meeting, they were at a particular service at a Baptist church. And they were there and they were, you know, they were the preacher was preaching, he was on fire, and he was going on and he was preaching the house down. People were running to the altar, people were going to the altar and praying and trying to seek that relief, trying to seek that forgiveness, a fiery message that was being preached. And as he got down to the altar with his sweet, sweet wife, Sister Patty, they began to bow their heads and begin to pray. And one of the gentlemen came up to Brother Jeff Arnold and they began to pray and they began to say the sinner's prayer over and over again. And he went through the sinner's prayer as he usually has, he did in the past. And then, of course, the, the gentleman there is like, you're saved, you're saved, hallelujah, you're saved. But Sister Patty, sweet little Sister Patty, ended up finding herself still laying down at the altar and praying. And then someone came up to the young came up to Sister Patty and began to pray, and they and they said, "Come on," and they began to try to help Sister Patty pray. But see, Sister Patty was waiting for something. Sister Patty was looking for something that was not coming. And then when one of the people asked, "What are you waiting for?" You can do this, she said. This simple thing, I I can't leave here. I haven't received the Holy Ghost. 
And then the people at the church begin to gasp and breathe and say, Oh my goodness, what's going on? Holy Ghost, what are you talking about? Holy Ghost, heaven, begin to speak in, in tongues, as Sister Patty said. Speaking in tongues. What are you talking about speaking in tongues? What do you mean speaking in tongues? They begin to get flustered. They begin to get afraid. But Sister Patty said, No. No, no, no. There's, got, there's something else that I need. There's something more that I need that I just can't seem to get. I haven't begun to speak in tongues. And if we can get into that mentality in our lives, that when we're praying about a situation, that we don't just give up, we don't just pray a certain amount of time. If we can find ourselves beginning to actually pray and seek God diligently and fastly, and we begin to say, God, I need something more. I need something more than this, this substitute that's going on. Lord, I'm in a desert right now in my life. I'm in a desert, and I'm trying to find what I need to do. And we begin to find ourselves searching for life. See, Sister Patty, she remembered when she was a young girl that she ended up, that she was at a Pentecostal orphanage. One of the Pentecostal orphanages that take in um, particular individuals, Tupelo Children's Mansion. And she knew that there was something more. And she tried to find that something more. And see, Brother Jeff Arnold went on through his life. And as they, they went on, we can see that Things begin to progress, and then as we can say now, Brother Jeff Arnold today and his sweet wife, Sister Patty, are doing, they're doing marvelous and miraculous things, and God is using them in such a magical and power, powerful way. But see, we can find ourselves in a desert searching for life. I want to direct your attention because there's something else that I'm reminded of when it comes to in a desert searching for life. And it comes from the story of Ezekiel in the Valley of Dry Bones. Ezekiel 37, 1 and 2 reads this, The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. Ezekiel here is talking about the bones that are being in this, this particular valley and he's wondering to himself why God has brought him to this place. This is one of the most amazing stories that we see that express a miracle, miraculous thing that happened, the impossible, the impossible becoming possible. As Ezekiel is traveling this dry place, he came across these bones. Looking at the context of scripture, he's in a dry place. This can be in relation to a desert because a desert is a dry place. There is no life in this place. There are bones as the only residents. The amazing thing comes next. See, God asks Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel speaks back and says, thou knowest. Ezekiel knew God can make something happen. What seemed like an impossible situation is not impossible with God. But God did not stop there. In fact, God told Ezekiel to speak to these bones. And he did. I can imagine Ezekiel at this moment, he's wondering, what are you talking about, Jesus? What are you talking about, Jesus? What are you talking about? What do you mean, speak to these bones? What's going to make, what, what, what's going to come with me speaking to these bones? And as Ezekiel 37, 3-8 reads, it says this, And he said unto me, Son of man, can't these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will, you will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise. Behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. 
And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. So God, using Ezekiel, made something that was dead begin to rise. He was able, with the help of God, to make an impossible situation a possible situation. But Ezekiel noticed something that may have come alive but had no breath. So they were not fully alive yet. But look at what God did next. He again has Ezekiel speak to the bones to breathe and they begin to breathe. A great army rose up and lived. Ezekiel 37, 9 and 10 reads, Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath. And breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded. And the breath came unto them. And they lived and stood up upon their feet. An exceeding great army. You see Ezekiel followed the command of God. He followed what God was telling him to do. He probably did not understand the situation. He probably didn't know what was going to take place. But see, that's what God deals with. God deals with the uncertainty of life. God deals with the things that you may be facing. And you're uncertain how those things may take place. See, God uses to illustrate something amazing to Ezekiel. He uses to relate this to the whole house of Israel and what he was to do to bring life in a dry place, turning a desert into something with life. Ezekiel 37, 11 through 14 reads, Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesied and saying to them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves and shall put my spirit in you and you shall live and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. You probably ask me, what are you trying to tell me tonight? What are you trying to speak? What, are, you may, what I'm trying to say to you tonight is you may be in a desert searching for life. And God is telling us, I have life. And I, my life will give you more abundance. That impossible situation you are facing in your life. Whether it be praying for a lost loved one. A friend, a co-worker, whoever it may be to become saved. God is saying it may seem impossible now. But the promise that I made unto you will come to pass. All you got to do is just keep striving. All you got to do is just keep praying. Don't you dare give up. I will provide that need. If you need a healing and the doctor is telling you something different, then I am here to tell you we serve a mighty God. And that God that we serve takes that situation and turns it around and completes that healing. Just like God told Ezekiel, prophesied unto these bones to live and breathe, then with my help and your faith it shall be done. I will help you with that impossible need. I will never leave you nor forsake you. All you got to do is seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be open. Ask and you shall receive. Because the promise I made to my people, I will bring it to pass. I will provide that need. Just don't give up. Keep pushing forward. 
We as the church need also to get out of our dry spell and bring new life into ourselves. And I'm so thankful and so grateful to see what the church is doing in this time that we're facing in our world right now. The church is rising to the occasion. It is setting up for the the worldwide revival that has taken place. Love is being shared in a midst of violence. Love is being shared with those who may mock and those who may do what they do. And they are showing that love and they are praying and they are going out into the highways and byways as Jesus instructed with his disciples when he talked to them. As he ministers to them in his life, they are going and they are becoming a light unto the world. They are saying, I am tired of seeing my world in a hurting state. I am tired of seeing situations going on and I'm going to do my part. I am going to find myself putting my eyes upon God and searching for God and putting my eyes there and leading whoever I may. What I'm trying to tell you tonight is God is there. All you got to do is look up. Oh, you may be searching right now. You may be trying to find some peace. You may be trying to find some clarity. And God is saying, I am here to provide you that clarity. I am here to provide you with something that is going to be unlike you've ever experienced before. Oh, right now, I am so glad to see the church rise and go in the midst of the chaos. Go into the midst and say, I am going to stand up for what is right. I am going to stand up for the truth. I am going to rest my mind and my being upon the word. Of God. We need to rise to the occasion and be that great army that is going to conquer the enemy and conquer that need that we have prayed for. We may be in a desert searching for life and God is giving life to the impossible. People in this world are searching for something they cannot find. Another prime example that I could bring to your attention is the woman at the well. We all know the story very, very well. See, the woman at the well. She it was, in a sense, in a desert searching for life. In this particular story, just to kind of give you an overview, this woman is going and drawing water from the well. Jesus comes up to her and begins to talk to her, and she is baffled by what Jesus is doing. Because, see, Jesus, as a Jew, coming and talking to a woman who was a Sumerian, was unheard of. But, see, that's the thing about God. That's the thing about what He does he goes into those unexpected places. He goes to where everybody else may not go. And this woman, with a very limited mind, begins to question Jesus and ask him, What are you doing here? Why are you talking to me? Because you see, the Sumerians and the Jews, they did not converse with one another. They did not talk to one another. They went their own ways. They did their own separate things. But see, in this particular thing, Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. And she is baffled by this particular command. Here we see that Jesus has been traveling for a while and he has become thirsty. This is an example that shows how Jesus was fully man and fully God. Because he thirsted just like every other person. What is interesting though is the fact that he stopped here at this well. Of course, God has a place and a time for everything. He came across this Sumerian woman. Now put yourself in this Sumerian woman's shoes for a moment. This random man comes up to you and asks you for a drink. I'm sure it probably surprised her. What surprised her even more is that Jesus, being a Jew, was talking to her, a Sumerian woman. And as I mentioned before, the Jews and the Sumerians did not get along or really talk to one another. But Jesus is different. He seeked this woman out for a reason and a purpose. He knew what he was doing. Jesus arrived at the ancestral site of the patriarch Jacob had purchased from the inhabitants of Canaan. In sharp contrast to Nicodemus, who is mentioned in the chapter before with his elite status, 
it shows you that God doesn't just have one certain group that he associates himself with. I want to spend a little time on that. Notice what is going on. See, God does not associate himself with a certain group. Let me repeat that again. See, God does not associate himself with a particular group. We need to adapt that same philosophy, that same mentality. I believe we become so crippled in our mind, so crippled in our thoughts, that we have become associated with certain people. And that is not what God intended. God intended for us to associate with every single person. Red, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in His sight, as the song begins to say, and as the song says. It is a song we probably all have learned in our Sunday schools. But see, that is the purpose that God was trying to do. See, He wants us to not associate associate with a certain group. He did not want us to associate with a certain pe particular people and a certain standard. See, God wants us to associate with everybody, no matter what the color of their skin may be, no matter what they may be doing, no matter what they may be trying to do, no matter if they even spit in your face. God does not want you to avoid that particular individual. We see that prime example with Jesus right here with the Samarian woman. Jesus with the Samarian woman here associated himself with someone outside the norm. Jesus met her and ranked at the bottom of the ancient social and religion scale. This particular woman was engaged in a menial task drawing water. At a very visible public location, the town, about well, it was about noon, as some of the studies that I've done, contrasts Nicodemus' private meeting with Jesus at night in John 3.2. <clears throat> See, she had difficulty comprehending the full spiritual imparts, import of Jesus' words, yet unlike Nicodemus, she acted decisively on what she did understand and immediately shared her encounter with the fellow residents of her town, which is mentioned later on in the chapter. See, Jesus' request was, give me to drink. It sparked a lively and insightful dialogue. Given the unusual nature of this encounter, the woman naturally wondered about Jesus' motivation. See, John 4, 9-15 through 15 reads, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, oh Jesus, and who it is that saith to thee, Oh God, hallelujah, give me the drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. Oh, and the well is deep. From whence that then hast thou that living water? Hold, right now we see that this woman is dealing with her, her particular limited mindset. And she looks at Jesus and says, you have nothing to draw water. What are you doing? Oh, God. Oh, but God turns around and does something spectacular. And then she says, art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? And this is what Jesus said. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Ha <laughs> ha. See, 
What he was talking about there is that water that you are taking part in right now. That limited mindset that you're taking part of right now. Oh, that's only limited. That's only going to last you for a moment. That's only going to last you for a time. Oh, but he goes on to say, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. The water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting love. The woman saith unto her, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Oh, hallelujah, right now we see a situation going on in this particular dialogue that this woman was set with a limited mindset. Oh, but Jesus said, oh, what you have right here is just temporary. What you have right here is not going to last you for the night. It's not going to last you very long. Oh, but what I have to give you, what I have to give to you right now is something greater. It's going to be something that's going to last you no matter where you are. It's going to be something greater that's going to give you strength no matter where you are. It's going to be something that's going to not let you thirst no longer. The dialogue initially revolved around the meaning of water. The woman persisted in taking water literally. But Jesus pressed his spiritual significance. Instead of physical water that never completely satisfied, Jesus offered something just as real and ultimately more fulfilling. A virtual well of water springing up into everlasting life. The conversation continues to be ongoing between them and Jesus requests her to do something for him. In John 4, 16 and 20, it reads this. Then Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou, thou knowest has is not thy husband, and thou saidest thou truly. <coughs> See, the woman saith unto him, Sir, perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. See, while Jesus and the woman had been complete strangers, he noted her involvement in a number of failed and inappropriate relationships. The woman reacted to Jesus' supernatural knowledge of her past by suggesting that Jesus must be a prophet. See, then quickly changed the subject to religious matters by drawing attention to the conflicting centers of worship espoused by Jews, as we see in Jerusalem, and Samaritans, and Mount Gerizim. It's that, it's that just like in some cases, we may be taking part in something that we're not supposed to, and then someone reads straight through the facade, and we quickly change the subject. The conviction begins to set in. That conviction is what is going to keep us having a repentant heart. D David was one such of individual. He killed a man's wife to cover up his sin, but he then found himself to a repentant heart. But as the story goes on, Jesus does not discredit her. See, God, God doesn't care what you've done. God doesn't care about the things that you may have taken part in. All God cares about is you. All he wants to do is shed his love and shed his grace and mercy upon you. It was you in your worsened state when you were at the most severe state of mind. When you found yourself in a situation 
that was in your absolute worst that Jesus looked down much further down the road and said that that is who I am dying for that is who I am going to give myself for see Jesus doesn't care where you come from he doesn't care about your past he doesn't care the sins that you may have taken part in all Jesus cares about is you Jesus loves you it doesn't matter who you are Jesus wants to give you that everlasting water. In John 4, 21 through 26, Jesus responds, and he saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh, when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto Him, I know the Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When He is come, He will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I, oh, oh Jesus, I that speak unto thee am He, oh Jesus. See, Jesus responded by nothing that true worshipers are not tied to physical sights or religious veneration, but serve God according to his fundamental nature as an omnipresent spirit. His fundamental nature is an omnipresent spirit, in spirit and in truth. The woman was aware of the future coming of the Messiah to her surprise. However, Jesus informed her he was in fact that very Messiah. John 4, 28-29 reads, The woman then left her water pots, Oh, Jesus! And went away into the city, and said to the man, Come see a man, which told me all the things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? See, in the woman's excitement to share the discovery of the Messiah, she ironically left behind her water pot, which was far surpassed by Jesus' offer of living springs of water flowing with him. The woman's appeal to her townspeople was unsophisticated and matter-of-fact. Come, see a man. She urged them to check out for themselves this remarkable individual who had disclosed her past. Like John the Baptist, the beloved disciple, and others who shared their true testimony, the Samaritan woman had joined the ranks of Jesus, faithful witness. The story of a Samaritan woman is a story of a person who was not a follower of a God, who became a follower of God. We have seen this taking place in our, in our world right now, where people, where our, our ministers and our churches are going out into the head highways and byways, and they're witnessing and they're measuring, and there's an abundance of flow of profit that is coming in, where God is speaking to these people, these protesters, these individuals, because He still loves the protester. He still loves the individual who may be instructing violence. He still loves the gang member. He still loves every single person. And it doesn't matter what they've done or what, how they have come about it because Jesus loves us all. And he is going to die. He would die for us over and over again. And just like those individuals who other people may turn around and say, Oh, I don't know about them. God is saying, That's exactly who I am going to use. That's exactly the person that I'm going to be able to do my works and my will. See, God doesn't see with the physical mind of a human being, the very limited mindset of a human being. He sees something much greater, He sees something much higher. And that is the God that we serve. 
this, this, this woman was searching for something in life that she could not find. She tried finding it with her failed relationship. She tried finding and living in her own ways. However, it was not until God incarnate in the man called Jesus that she did not find what she was looking for. The well represents a way to quench one's thirst or life in one way. It is the sustenance in which someone needs to suffice for a short amount of time. It is a temporary fix. The Samaritan woman did not expect to receive what she did. However, when Jesus showed up on her doorstep, she was informed of a way that she could have life and have it more abundantly. When she received that water in which Jesus was talking about, that everlasting water, it became an overflow. So much of an overflow that she had to go tell somebody about it. She tried all these other things, but she could not find comfort. When she did find that comfort, she accepted it. She went and told somebody and was able to reach someone that others may not have been able to reach. See, God uses anybody he so pleases. If we just accept God and what he is offering, then we are able to find ourselves when we are in our desert searching for life. We can get so wrapped up in thinking we are not worthy of doing great things. We can find ourselves also thinking it may not seem possible. We are in a spiritual desert trying to seek for life. We have become so very weary. We have become so wrapped up in the devil's lies telling us that we are not worthy. That we can pray all we want, but it is not going to work. He likes to remind us that you have been praying for so long, yet nothing has happened. The enemy likes to try and confuse us and tell us you might as well give up. But the word of God, I said the word of God tells us differently. We are when we are in a time of need and we think that we are not worthy. God is saying that you are worthy. When we are finding ourselves in a dry spell, God is trying to pull us and say, you do not have to feel that way anymore. I will give you life and give it to you more abundantly. I want to touch your church. I want to bring you out of your desert. I want to give you that everlasting water. We need a revival from God to shake our foundation and make us on fire. We need to get away from the lies of the enemy and tell him, I do not care what you say, devil. You have no hold on me. I will keep on praying. I will keep on trying. I will keep on believing that God will bring my loved one back to the church. I will keep on believing that my world is not lost yet. I will keep on believing that God is going to do something great. I am going to keep on loving other people as God has loved them no matter what color they are. No matter what race they may be. No matter what religion they may be. I'm still going to love them. I'm still going to shed my... Oh God, I'm still going to shed unto them, oh Lord, my worries and my fears. Oh God, I want to still pray for them. I'm going to still love them no matter what the situation is. I will keep on praying. I will keep on striving. I will keep believing that God will bring my loved one back to the church. Oh God. God has made a promise. And when God makes a promise, he does not go back on his promise. When you are in your broken state and you feel that you cannot make it through, God is saying yes. Oh yes you can. When we are in our broken state, which is when God is inviting us to use his throne into higher calling. Hebrews 4.16 reads, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How are we to come boldly? God is saying, come boldly to the throne. When you find yourself in the most time of need, which is when God is inviting us to come to his throne without hesitation. We do not have to worry about not being worthy enough. God is saying that you are worthy enough. 
Your desert will have life. Your need shall be received. Your help will come. You are worthy to come to the throne even in your most unstable state. That is when God, when God wants us to come to his throne and invite us to come and receive. See, David in Psalm 61 said this, Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayers. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covet of thy wings, Selah. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou will prolong the king's life in his year as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth, which may preserve him, so will I sing praise. And to thy name forever that I may daily perform my vows. God is that strong tower we can lean on. God allows us to come even in our most unstable states. He loves us and is trying to push us to receive him in a more powerful way. We need to cling to the word of God. We need to keep our eyes on God. We need to make sure that we are searching in all the right places. We need to keep believing and claiming the things as they already are. That promises God made you is not over. See, it is not over until God says it's over. God is telling us there, there is no need to search anymore where else. All you've got to do is search in the direction of God. If you are not, then you are finding yourself in a desert searching for life. We need to grab a hold of God's saving grace and power. We need to not get confused with what the Bible is saying. We need to block out that old devil that is trying to tell us otherwise. All he wants to do is hinder you. All he wants to do is keep you in your desert. Satan knows that if he can keep you in your desert, you are going to dry out and continue to search for life. But God says another thing. God says, I want to bring you out of your desert. I want to bring you out of your problem. I want to answer your prayers. I, want, I will give to you what you need. All you got to do is keep your eyes upon God. All you got to do is keep your eyes upon him. All you got to do is turn to him for life. All you got to do is trust in the Lord. I will make your need and promise come to pass, God says. Even in your desert, I will give you life. I will give you that everlasting water that you long for. In a desert, you will not have to worry about searching for life. I am talking about in a desert, searching for life. And right now in the world, you may be finding, and you may be fighting some things. You may be feeling oppressed. You may be feeling that the odds are stacked against you. But God is saying, no, that's not right. That's not so. Oh, you are trying to search in all these other places. And all you got to do is put your eyes upon me. All you got to do is find yourself at an altar repenting with a repenting heart and giving your whole self. See, when we repent, we give ourselves completely and totally away we say that God and we are sincere about that repentance process and God is saying all you gotta do is call out to me all you gotta do is cry out to me all you gotta do is trust in me all you gotta do is that when you're in your desert and you don't know where to go and you are thirsty that all the waters that you may be facing in this world those waters are not gonna quench your thirst those waters are not gonna get you to where you need to be those waters are gonna be temporary God is saying that I have the water I have the water that I can give you I have the water that is everlasting We need to grab a hold of this concept in our world and we need to come together now. 
more than ever. I speak to anyone who can hear this podcast. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you have done. But God is calling you right now. God is saying, you are still my child. And I love you. And I want to do great things to you. You may be protesting. You may be inflicting violence. But it doesn't matter to me because I still love you. I still love you and I want to do something greater. God is looking out for you no matter where you are. God is looking out for you in every situation. All you got to do is listen to what God is saying and take part in the living water, the ever-living water, that it may find itself to where it needs to be. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. through this bed.